Hello, believers and friends. Um, today we continue our study in Luke. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 2. We'll start with 1 through 3. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, to each his own city. The time of Jesus' birth is marked by Luke yet again. Uh, he was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus, who was a ruler from 27 BC to 14 AD. Jesus was probably born before 4 BC, since Herod the Great's reign ended that year. The small issue we have is with Governor Quirinius, who was apparently governor around 6 to 7 AD. So, which is it? What, what is it? Is this a contradiction? Uh, the word first in verse 2 can also be translated to before, as it is in other places. If it is, we have no problem, because the census would have taken place before Crinius were to rule, which the word order in Greek is much more fluid than in English. Uh, the emperor sent out a decree or a command to all the land a census was to be taken in those days. This meant everybody needed to return to their own city of origin. This census was probably done for taxes. Big shocker. Some have thought it's strange that people would have to return to their ancestral homes instead of where they currently lived for a census. But we have documented evidence of this happening in other places. So just to clarify, the issue that happened was because in verse 2 it says this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor but then you said that it's um, it's okay because it doesn't mean that it was it doesn't have to mean the very first census is that it could mean that it was done before that correct it could mean before Crinius was governor of Syria. And sorry for that guy's name. I'm sure I'm massacring the name. <laughs> Quirinius. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry, I was trying to follow all that. Thank you. Okay, verses four to five. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So we see Joseph and Mary needed to return to Bethlehem from Nazareth because that was their ancestral home. Notice that Joseph went up, quotes, to Bethlehem, but Bethlehem is to the south. That seems a little strange to say it that way, but this language was used because Bethlehem was higher in elevation. It's actually about 2,564 feet or 781.5 meters above sea level. And that's higher than Nazareth, which is about 1,830 feet or 557.8 meters above sea level. So they went up, quite literally. <laughs> this event shows God's sovereign hand in life's affairs. He orchestrated the census to occur so that Joseph and Mary would go to Bethlehem. This falls in line with Micah 5.2, which tells us the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means, when it's translated, house of bread. This is the ideal birthplace for the bread of life, which Jesus is called in John 6, 35. Verses 2 through 7. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. While they were in Bethlehem, the prophecy came to pass. Jesus was born. He was her firstborn son. She had more children, as we will see later on. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. A child in that time was wrapped in cloths because many thought that in that the infants needed to be bound in order to keep their limbs straight and unharmed. Uh, according to tradition, they were placed in a cave near the inn where the animals were kept and fed. God finally entered earth. What an enormously joyous occasion. We see another interesting detail. The God who made the universe in a sentence came in a humble way. He decided to come into the world among animals, not a palace, not even a normal accommodation. He came in lowly feeding troughs for animals. Quite an unlikely hero. Yeah. So in verses 8 through 14, we see, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We see an angel appearing to a group of shepherds, just a lowly band of workers working the night shift. Shepherds were very much outcasts since their work made them ceremonially unclean. It's pretty likely that these shepherds were caring for the lambs that would be sacrificed for the next Passover. So these shepherds, taking care of their sheep, saw the one angel and were terrified. The exact translation from the Greek is, they feared a great fear. The angel comforted the shepherds with not only the calming, do not fear, but that they were bringing news that would bring joy. The word joy here is chara, or chara, why do you say that? (laughs) I don't know. Which is very closely associated with salvation. A savior had arrived in their town that very day. The savior was not only to save them, but also was the Lord, God, and Christ Messiah, the prophesied one. This news was for everyone. After the angel gave the shepherds directions on finding the baby, the sky exploded in a choir of angels giving glory to God. That must have been incredible to hear. Remember that God's glory had disappeared from the temple and the nation of Israel because of their sins. We saw that in 1 Samuel 4.21 and Ezekiel 8.4 and 9.3. But now God's glory was returning to the world in the person of Jesus. Remember from John 1.14. The Holy of Holies had arrived in a manger. God's glory had returned to the earth and would bring peace to those who come to him for salvation, which brings him pleasure. Something important to think about here is that, interestingly, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He came to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. 
tells us in John 1.29. He's also called the Good Shepherd in John 10, who would care for his own. Both of these titles are directly associated with the shepherds, his first visitors. Verses 15 to 20. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem, then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. The shepherds dropped what they were doing and went to go see Jesus. They believed the angels and went to see the Savior of the world, who wouldn't after that great of an announcement. They told the couple and the entire surrounding village all that they had seen. Those that heard the news were amazed. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. This amazement is a common theme throughout Luke, as we will see. Mary treasured all this in her heart. Of all the women that existed, she was the one to see this firsthand. She saw the, the momentous entrance of God into humanity. She was the physical mother of the Messiah. Wow. Okay, verses 21, actually just verse 21. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here, scripture is telling us that Joseph and Mary obeyed the Lord's direction and named the child Jesus. As was law, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That comes from Leviticus 12.3. Some may ask, wait, wasn't Joseph on his way to Jerusalem because Herod was after him? Well, not yet. The magi, or wise men, that triggered all this actually came after this point. If we look at the story of Jesus and the Magi in Matthew 2, we see several indications of this. Herod was killing babies under two years old. Jesus' family was living in a house, not a stable, and a few other indications. So, no, there's no contradiction here. Verses 22 to 24. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. After Mary's time of purification from having a baby boy, about 33 days, they presented Jesus in Jerusalem, according to Exodus 13, 2 and 12. It was to redeem the Redeemer, who would one day redeem all of his own. To purchase is what redeeming is. They also needed to present an offering for Mary's purification. And we see this in Leviticus 12, 1 through 8. They gave the offering of a poor couple. They could not afford a lamb, so they bought a pair of doves or pigeons. Joseph and Mary followed the law to the T with Jesus. Jesus completed the law perfectly from day one. This perfect life, as we will see, gives us something very special. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave to those that come to him his perfect life and forgiveness of sins. 
all our wrong is not only blotted out, but God sees us as if we had lived Jesus' spotless life. Through this act, we gain entrance to a perfect place. It's amazing. Verse 25 through 26. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we see there was a man named Simeon. God had told him he would see the Messiah before he died. Simeon was considered upright and pious before the Lord. He had been anxiously awaiting the coming of the Messiah, and God granted him the opportunity to see the healer of nations. 27 to 32. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, entered into the temple and found Jesus. There he held Jesus and praised God. He knew he was holding the long-awaited Savior of the world. Now he could die in peace because God's promise to him had been fulfilled. The Savior would be for the Gentiles as well for the Jews. Gentiles is pretty much anybody that's not a Jewish person. He would be a light of salvation to those that did not even know the Jewish religion. We can see that in Isaiah 49.6. The salvation of Gentiles is put forth many times by Luke. Jesus would also be the pride of the Jewish people. The God of the universe came as a Jewish man to save the world. Joy to the world. All the world was waiting for the promised one. Prophets through the ages claimed that he would come, not a conquering king, but a babe in a manger, God eternal in fragile form. This child would save fallen humanity. Truth would be in his teachings and healing in his hand. His blood would satisfy the debt that only perfect blood could cover. Now we wait for the coming of the conquering king to take us home to be with him. What excitement. This is what matters. Jesus. Verses 33 to 35. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Yeah, the words of Simeon amazed Joseph and Mary. Imagine some random guy picking up your child and saying these things. Even if the things were true, Joseph and Mary didn't even know him. Simeon blessed them both, and then specifically spoke to Mary. He told her a prophecy about her son. Her son would be a sign to all who would seek. The word sign here means the revelation of divine truth. God was revealing the Savior of the world to those who truly were searching for the truth. And to them, Jesus is God's miracle or revelation of himself to us. But many would oppose him, and many still do. Jesus would be opposed, and she would be greatly hurt. This grief would be intense, like a sword piercing her soul. This prophecy indicates that Joseph was dead by the time Jesus was crucified. 
Mary was one of the few at the foot of the cross. She saw her master and son die, crucified. Although she did feel pain, she was in no way a part of the redemptive work of Christ. She was simply a mother, mourning her child's death. Even if this child was Messiah, she was his physical mother, and all mothers would feel great anguish at seeing their own children in pain, let alone seeing them crucified. Verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived in with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for redemption of Jerusalem. A prophetess from the tribe of Asher came to the couple as well. Her name was Anna. She was an 84-year-old widow who had dedicated herself wholly to the temple and the work of the Lord. Widows did not have it easy in those days. They were often neglected despite the Bible's command to take care of them. Yet she dedicated her life to God. There she announced to the entire temple that the Messiah had come. She thanked God for Jesus and spoke to him, spoke of him as the redemption that had come from God. For humanity's salvation. Verses 39 to 40. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So, in his word, God tells us that Joseph and Mary completed everything from the law in that trip to the temple, and then they returned to Nazareth, about 65 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, the trip to Egypt would have been before they left to Nazareth. This is where Jesus grew up. There, Jesus grew physically, in wisdom, and in grace or favor with God. And Verses 41 through 45. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were run returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. While some traditions say that Jesus performed miracles as a child, uh, the Bible does not have any record of that. He worked with his father as a carpenter, we see that in Mark 6.3, until it was time for him to start his ministry. Luke gives us just one story of Jesus' childhood. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were in Jerusalem for Passover. Uh, Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem for Passover. This is seen in Deuteronomy 16, 16, and it was a, an annual feast. Even at the age of 12, Jesus understood his, miss his mission on the earth was to obey his father. His parents left Jerusalem, assuming that Jesus was with the caravan, which was a common thing in that day. They went a day traveling before they noticed that Jesus was missing. So... They went back to Jerusalem to look for Jesus. In verses 46 through 47, Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. 
and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. After three days of searching, they found him discussing the Bible with the learned men of the day. He was listening to them, questioning them, and answering their questions intelligently, to the point that they were amazed at the child. Verses 48 through 50. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I am, I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. I can only imagine Mary and Joseph at that point in time, after three days of searching for your child, uh, you finally find him, and, and they ask seemingly an innocent question, and Jesus gives a sharp distinction between them and his true father, which is God. He needed to obey God the Father before obeying his parents, no matter the circumstance. Jesus knew his mission even at this age, even though his parents still weren't clear on it. Verses 51 to 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. So in these verses, Luke is good to point out that Jesus returned with his parents and did continue to obey them. Mary cherished these things in her heart. She would be the only mother to experience this. As time progressed, so did Jesus' wisdom and favor with God and men. He grew up as a normal human in body, mind, and spirit. So something important to think about here is what an example, even as a child. Jesus grew up in a poor family with many children. He lived in a despised city under the rule of another whose society was in a constant state of fear and change. Yet Jesus was a light in all that darkness. This example should pour out into our lives. Can you be the example in the time of trial? Can you trust in God even when things are going wrong? Does your life mimic the biblical way to have family as portrayed here? Are you growing in knowledge of God's word? <laughs> when we think about that, we see that we all have some work to do. And with those thoughts, we wrap up chapter 2 of the book of Luke. <laughs>